0: Hey, happy Father's Day uh, to all of our dads. We're gonna be speaking to our dads, but obviously as anything else, it's the Word of God. It applies to everybody, uh, and everybody's gonna be able to get something out of this, but this is specifically for our dads uh, and kind of some things for our moms as well. And so before we jump in, let's just pray and we'll get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and Father, I pray that as I speak, Father, that you're speaking through me, that it's not my words, it's your words, Father, that you would guide and direct me as I preach. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open this morning and ready to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we're going to be talking about Father's Day and to our dads, and I want to show you some things uh, about being a dad. Uh, I'm going to give you some simple, easy things that you can do today to be a better dad, Uh, to be a better husband, Uh, moms, you could take what I'm going to give you too, as well as to be a better mom, to be a better wife, kids. You can do this to be a better kid, uh, to be a better student. Uh, Some of these tips that I'm going to give you can apply in every area of your life. And so before we get to that, I want to jump in and I want to read you out of Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. Now, before we read this, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, Okay, so last book, these are the last two verses in the Old Testament. Now think about that God is finishing up the Old Testament. His prophets are finishing up writing this, and God could speak anything that he wanted to speak. He could say anything that he wanted to say. I mean, we turn the next page and we jump into Matthew, where we talk about the coming Christ, Jesus, uh, the, the family line that he comes from, but God goes the route of talking to dads. And God wants to close out the Old Testament by talking to fathers. And so I want to read to you, uh, and I'm sure you've already read that because it's been up there, and you're, you're reading it as I'm talking, aren't you? Yeah, everybody, don't do that again. You understand me? I'm just kidding, but seriously. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day the Lord arrives... His preaching will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, what I want you to see here is he's talking about Elijah, a prophet, and he's sending him, and he says his preaching will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So what God is saying is he closes out the Old Testament with, I'm sending my prophet Elijah. Elijah's long been dead. We know that uh, we told this story uh, last week about uh, Lazarus, who was in Abraham's bosom, and there was a man in hell and they could see each other. And he told, him, he told Abraham, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers not to come here. right?" And Abraham tells him, if, if, they, if your brothers won't believe the prophets, they won't believe a dead man. See, and God has sent a prophet to Tulia, to Tulia Christian Fellowship, named Pastor Rusty Gray, to speak to you. And he's saying that through his preaching, that he, he's going to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That that's what God wants to happen. Now, it ends with, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. And that probably freaks everybody out, right? And, and what does that mean? Okay, we know that in life there's natural causes and effect right okay if I decide today that I'm going to go to Amarillo and watch a movie and I decide I'm going to drive 120 miles an hour because I want to get there in a hurry that most likely I'm going to get a ticket right Somebody's going to pull me over and he's going to say you're driving 120 right in a 75 what, what are you doing so I need to get to the movies really quick right and they would say here here's a 300 dollars ticket right and they would write me a ticket if not a ticket I have a much more likely chance of being in a wreck Right? Because I'm driving way too fast. That's why there's speed limits. Because we don't need to be driving that fast. Right? And so we know that there's natural causes and if I speed, I'm going to get a ticket. We know that this afternoon, if I went to the grocery store and bought six half gallons, I said six half gallons of bluebell ice cream and decided to sit down and eat all of those, we know that I would get sick correct? Probably most of us, I mean, anybody that ate a a half gallon, if you sit down and ate one container of ice cream, you're not going to feel good. That's why we tell our children, don't eat a bunch of candy because you're going to get sick, right? Don't eat before your dinner because then you won't be hungry for supper, right? We know that there's natural causes and effects. We tell the students in Ground Zero, you want to stay away from alcohol. Why? Because if I drink too much, I can get drunk and then horrible things can happen, right? Doesn't mean it's going to happen to everybody, but it can. That is an effect of getting drinking too much, right? You can run the risk of becoming an alcoholic, right? We know not everybody does that. I'm not saying everybody's going to, but that is an effect of drinking too much. so we warn the kids to not do that and to stay away from that because that's a natural effect of drinking too much, right? Now, if you go home today and you get out a couple of beers and you drink them this afternoon, God's not going to strike you drunk because you drank, Right? That's stupid, right? That's not going to happen. Just like if the father's hearts don't turn to the children and the children's hearts to the father, God's not going to curse the land. Because of the breakdown of the family, because of the breakdown of, of the fatherless generation, we've built more prisons and we've filled them with more young men. Because there's no dads, right? Because of the fatherless generation, Because this isn't coming to pass, this isn't happening all over, right? The devil's destroying the family, we're seeing the breakdown of the family, right? We do Ground Zero every week, uh, you know, on Wednesday nights, and we see the breakdown of the family in young men and young women's lives who don't have dads, who don't have moms, right, who bounce around from house to house, and and they're not with their mom and dad, right? And it it says that uh, there will come a curse that will strike the land, Right, we've seen that happen. We've seen that. That's a natural effect because of the breakdown of the family. And so, gentlemen, uh, all of my dads in the house, God wants you to turn your hearts back to your children. Right? You do that first, and then their hearts are going to turn back to you. See, God didn't say, I want the children's hearts to turn to the fathers, then the fathers' hearts to the children. It's the other way around. God wants you to turn your heart towards your kids. Okay? Uh, If they're your kids, stepchildren, adopted children, it doesn't matter. God wants you to turn your hearts towards your kids. That's what God finished the Old Testament with. That was his last almost decree or command to us is that I want to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now I'm going to give you one thing. That you can do uh, to be a better dad. One thing you can take home right now if you're taking notes, you want to get pen and paper out. If you're not taking notes, like write on your hand, get your phone out, you're going to want to write this down. Uh, one thing that you can do to be a better dad is number one, be there, number two, be happy. Okay, be there and be happy. And you say, what does that mean? Number one, be there, which means you have to be there. Let's take dinner for an example. Uh, To be a better dad, be there, be at dinner, be at the dinner table, right? Have your family sit around the dinner table and eat dinner together. Do not sit in front of the TV, right? Don't let your wife cook dinner, feed the kids and put them to bed because you're too busy to come in for dinner, uh, my mother-in-law, her dad was a farmer, uh, and a rancher, and he would take off at six o'clock every night, come eat dinner, right? Talk to the kids, see them. And then if he had to go back out and farm more, he would go back out and farm more. If he needed to go finish up or do something, he would do that. But he came in every single night at six o'clock to eat dinner with his family. Okay. So number one, you got to be there, right? Physically have your body in the room, in a chair, sitting down. Second, Mentally. Right, you can't sit at the table, but you're thinking about other things. You're thinking about what you need to do, the stresses of life, bills you gotta pay, you gotta block all of that out because you gotta be there for your kids. Okay? That's the first step. That's not enough. Second, you have to be happy. Okay? I know so many women, so many friends of ours who say, I just wish my husband was around more. Right? Wish well, he'd just help out more. Right? Cry of so many women, I wish my husband was around, I wish he was here more. Right? And then be happy. Famous thing that teach in in, in ministry is fake it till you make it. That means if you're not happy, you pretend. You act like you're happy. You smile. If you're mad at the world and you hate everything and you don't want green beans for dinner, you don't even like green beans, and you don't even know why your wife made green beans, you just smile and eat green beans, right? You you be there and you be happy. Now, this goes for dinner, birthdays, recitals, uh, games practices and the list goes on and on and on be there and be happy i'm telling you it'll change your life it'll change your life nobody's ever gone to you know you don't ever get down the road and think man at that birthday i sure wish i was thinking about work and i wish i'd have been real upset and sat in the corner the whole time Right? No, nobody ever does that. Right? You never, you know, uh, going to Christmas in Hollis with my grandmother, uh, you know, and we would go to Hollis and hang out with them. And, and I don't ever look back and think that. Right? You'll never be sorry for being present and being happy. You'll always look back and think, man, I'm glad that I was engaged. I'm glad I was there. And I'm glad I was happy. Even though I know that I wasn't really happy, but I faked it till I made it. Right, and you don't do that in every situation of your life. You got to have some time where you can talk and vent and do that. But that's not family time, right? Family time, you pretend, right? And you'll pretend so much it'll just become natural, and you'll eventually get happy. Amen. It it, it works. I'm telling you. Before you walk in the door, you say, "I'm here and I'm happy every single night." I'm telling you, we, we promises God. Confession, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you sit around, my life's terrible. Amen. Amen. All right, my second point is uh, mom, let dad be dad, okay? Mom, you got to let dad be dad, and you've got to trust dad. You've got to lean on dad. You can't pretend like you have it all figured out, okay? See, God is our heavenly father, and if your kids, mom, see you not trusting the earthly father, how will they ever trust a heavenly father they can't see? Right? And so you have to teach them that we trust dad. Now, I know that every situation's not perfect. Every situation's not great. I have tons of kids that come through ground zero that dad's not home, mom's not around. I live with grandparents, I live with aunts and uncles. And I know that you may say, well, you don't understand my situation. Whatever situation you're in, just try to do that. I understand, like, dad's not around. You can't help that. If there's a man in your life that you trust, uh, n- and I'm not even saying someone that you have to date or marry or anything like that, just a coach, a teacher, someone you respect, maybe uh, a granddad or a- an uncle that you trust and love, ha- lean on that man and-, and just show that, man, we trust him, I listen to him, I care for him because then it teaches your kids to do the same thing. And it teaches them that I can trust God because I know mom trusts her dad or I know that mom trusts our dad or mom trusts uh, her uncle or or a man in our life that we trust and care about. And I know that, you know, I know that we can go around the room and situations are all different, but just try to find a man that you can trust and lean on for your kids because you need to let dad be dad. And you don't need to overstep him. You don't need to, uh, y- you know, ridicule him or cut him down in front of your kids. Always discuss parenting away from your kids. You never talk about parenting in front of your kids. You put them to your the bed, right, and then you go to your room and then you argue about parenting. Don't let them see you argue. Okay? That's a side nugget. That's the Holy Ghost. That wasn't in the first service. Somebody take some notes or something. Right? There's an author named John Eldridge. He wrote an amazing book called Wild at Heart. He's written many other books that are incredible. Uh, Dads, I would encourage you to buy Wild at Heart and to read it. Uh, Even if you're not a reader, just take like the next 12 years of your life and get through this book. It's not long. Uh, It's a really easy read, a good read. I encourage you, uh, you know, you can get it on your phone or, you know, on Kindle or things like that, or you can just order a a paperback uh, online. But he he sends out an email that dad gets, uh, and he wrote kind of like a little paragraph uh, about fatherhood, and I want to read it to you. And it says, I've often wondered at the long list found many places in the Bible that recount a roster of men as the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so. You'll find many of these rosters in the scriptures and elsewhere in ancient literature, perhaps these accounts uh, reveal something we wouldn't have noticed before, a father view of the world held by those who wrote them, shared by those who read them. Perhaps they saw the father-son legacy, the most significant of all legacies, that to know a man's father was in great part to know the man. And then, if you step back uh, just a little further and have a look, you'll see that God of the Bible is portrayed as a great father. Now, I want to read to you one more time just th- this small part, that they, that these people that wrote this had a father view of the world, held by those who wrote them, shared by those who read them. Perhaps they saw in the father-son legacy the most significant of all legacies. To know a man's father was in great part To know the man. Now, if you've ever seen any medieval movies, uh, Lord of the Rings, for instance, a lot of times when they greet, you know, they would say, "You know, who are you?" I would say, "My name is Kurt, son of Rusty," right? And you would tag on who who your father is, right? And sometimes they would even do, you know, the son of Rusty, son of Harold. You would go back even two generations, and that. What he's saying in this statement is those men who wrote that, who who felt the need to write in scripture that this is who the dad was, this is who the son was, right? That they had a father view of the world that they knew fathers mattered. Right? Dads, you carry a lot of weight. Your words carry weight. Okay, so I want to give you an example of scripture of this. This is Matthew 1, 1 through 3, and it says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, uh, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezra was the father of Ram. Right? And so it's given this example of what this looks like, that this this father view of the world. I love what this statement says that I want to read it back to you, to know a man's father was in great part to know the man. To know who a man's father was was in great part to know the man. Now, obviously, I mean, you may not have a relationship with your dad, you may not have had a good dad, but to know your heavenly father is in a great part to know who you are, right? Dads, you can't do this on your own. You can't make it on your own. You have to know who your father is. And I'm talking about your heavenly father. Because when you find out who he is, you'll find out who you are. And in a great part, when you find out who he is, then you find out what kind of man you are. Okay, dads, you have great power. You have great power. Your words carry a lot of weight. Your kids crave to hear from you that you love them, that you're proud of them, that they're doing a good job, right? You know, we learned, we learned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you, you call those things that be not as though they were, right? You, t- you tell your kids, man, you're the smartest kids in school. They say, Dad, I failed every star test. So I said, you're the smartest kids in school, right? I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. Doesn't matter You're the smartest kids in school. I love you. I'm proud of you. I care about you, right? Because your kids crave to hear that. When I was in school growing up, uh, you know, friends that I would have would have parents that really wouldn't uh, necessarily care where they were, how late they were out. You know, it just didn't bother them. I have kids in Ground Zero that say I could get up and walk out of the house at midnight and no one would notice. No one would care. They said I could slam the door and no one would get up to see who just left. That they don't care. And they're craving for attention. They're craving for a father figure in their life to love them and to care about them and to speak over them. And so dads, it's so important that you're speaking this over your kids. It doesn't matter if your kids are 3, 33, 53, 63. It doesn't matter. They still want to hear it. If you have grown children, men, they want to hear from you. I'm proud of you. I love you. I care about you. I'm proud of the man that you've become, right? And you say, well, I'm not proud of the man he's become. You're calling those things that be not as though they were, right? I'm proud of the man you've become, right? And you can say, I'm proud of the man you're becoming because we know you're a work in progress, right? And so you're always speaking over your kids. Uh, uh, husbands, your wives wanna hear that, right? Your wives wanna hear that, man, the house looks nice. You say, the house doesn't look nice. We're calling those things that be not as though they were. I love it that you do the laundry. She had not done laundry in a month. It doesn't matter. Right? Right? It doesn't matter. I mean, if you go pull some clean underwear out of the drawers, thank God for clean underwear. Right? Men, if you go home and have to throw a load in the laundry, you say, man, my wife does a good job with the laundry. You say, well, I did the laundry. You're just calling those things to be not as though they were, right? You're confessing. And so it doesn't matter the situation. You just begin to speak life, right? We're not going to speak death. We're not going to speak negativity. We're not going to say, man, my kids failed all the star tests. They're going to live with me till they're 40, right? They ain't never getting out of the house. We're not going to speak that. I got smart kids, right? They're going to invent an app, and I'm never going to have to work again, right? Because they're going to be billionaires, right? Amen? Get some faith, people. I want to read to you Psalms 127, 3 through 5. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. Uh, They are a reward from him. Now, if you have babies at 3 a.m., sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift, uh, but they are a gift from God. It says, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. Uh, He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. What I want you to understand here is that your children are a blessing. Whether they're your children, whether they're your stepchildren, whether they're your adopted children, they're a blessing. And it says right here that, uh, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand, that joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them, right? The more kids you have, the more blessed you are. I don't want to, I want to be blessed, but not too blessed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want my quiver too full, right? (laughs) I just want a couple of them little blessings running around, uh, But your kids are a blessing. Your kids are a blessing from God to you. And always remember that. Always hold on to that. Always remember that they're God's children, right? I mean, think about Joseph with Jesus. He raised him, and I'm your stepdad, but he had to remember, God's your father, right? But but it doesn't matter the situation that you're in. Always love your kids. Always speak life over your kids. Always know that they belong to God. Uh, Your children are your greatest legacy. One of the hardest things in our generation right now, in our culture, is that somehow I have to build a legacy. I have to build something to leave behind, right? When, uh, you know, a couple months ago, my uncle passed away, and my dad was getting ready to have heart surgery. He called me and said, you need to come over to the house. He said, I'm having open heart surgery. Things could go wrong. Something could happen. And if I don't make it, I want you to take over the church. And I said, dad, if something happens to you in surgery, I'm burning the church to the ground. Right, right? You know, if my uncle dies and then a week later you die, I mean, we're burning the church to the ground and, like, we're not serving God anymore, right? And so, you know, and it can be like, and I'm not saying that dad has this, but that pressure of, oh, we need to leave something behind. Uh, And there's a movie called Tron. There's an old one from the 80s, and they remade it, uh, like, I think about 2015. And at the end of that movie, this guy builds this huge computer business, you know, huge uh, business corporation. And uh, at the very end of the movie, he's with his grown son. And he says, my whole life, I was trying to build a legacy. And he said, son, you are my legacy, right? Your children are the greatest legacy that you're ever going to leave behind. Think about that your faith, right? You sit here this morning and you believe in God and you have strong faith and you're here every week and you tithe and you want to serve God. And if you don't pass that on to your children, that it can be lost in one generation, your kids could walk away from church because that wasn't passed down. We're too busy doing something else. We're too busy at work. We're too busy trying to build something, trying to make something of ourselves, that we neglect the greatest legacy that we're going to leave behind. Right? Nobody's going to care about the businesses that we built. Right? But our children left behind are going to are going to need something from us and something that's going to be left behind from us. Proverbs twenty two six says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Right? Dad, you have to direct your children onto the right path, and then when they get older, they won't leave it. Direct your children onto the right path, and you say, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Uh, I would say, first of all, you're doing a great job in church, and if your kids are in church, um, don't ever get up and let your teenage kids stay at home, Right? My dad always said, like, you know, it didn't matter how old I was. You're staying at my house. You do what I say. Right? That's just how my dad was. Dad would always joke with us as kids. He'd come in and say, do you want to go to church? And we would be like, oh, maybe not today. And he's like, too bad. Get up. Right? You ain't got no choice. Right? Get out of bed. You're going to church, fool. And it's like, well, dad, we just got back from camp. I was in church for like three days. I don't care. You need more Jesus. Yeah. Right? And so bring your family to church. Right? Don't make your wife wake you up. You be up and dressed. Right? When she gets up. Right? Step up and lead your children in the right path so when they're older, they will not leave from it. Guys, you got to rely on God. You have to lean on Jesus. You have to trust him. You have to pray that he's guiding you, that he's giving you the words to speak, that he's telling you what to say and what to do. Because on our own, we're not going to make it. We're not going to do a good job. It's never too late to be a dad. I mean, you say, well, my kids are grown, and I didn't do a good job when they were young. It doesn't matter. Start right now. You say, well, we don't have a good relationship. What do we do? We confess. I have the best relationship with my kids I've ever had. And you say, well, they won't even talk to me. It doesn't matter. You just begin to confess that. You say, God, I pray that I have the best relationship with my kids I've ever had. Satan, I bind you off of my relationships. You have no power here. Amen. And you begin to confess that and call that in and you begin to be a dad because uh, every child is craving to hear from their dads, craving to hear from their dads, craving to hear that I love you, I'm proud of you, and I care about you. And it doesn't matter if they're young or if they're old. Everybody. And so, you know, I want to encourage all of our dads, all of our granddads, uh, our uncles to jump in there, be men of God, bring the love of Christ everywhere you go, bring the love of Christ to your children, trust God, lean on the word of God. When you don't know what to do in parenting, Google, what does the Bible say about parenting? What does the word of God say, right? And, and to do that and to lead your children in the right path and then they will not depart from it. And I want to encourage you to be there and be happy. In every situation, in every area of your life, be there and be happy. And if you're not happy, just fake it till you make it, right? Pretend that you are. Have a time in your day uh, that you can kind of debrief and that you can kind of talk about the problems and issues, uh, but that's not family time, right? Uh, maybe you need to get together with a colleague and have breakfast or go have coffee or just go out in the backyard and scream at the world, but that's not family time right? And so you be there and you be happy. Amen. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray right now that you would help us to be there. You would help us to be there physically. You would help us to be there mentally, spiritually, that we would be 100% there, that we would be involved and engaged. Father, I pray that you would give us the joy of the Lord, that you would give us peace that goes beyond all understanding, that you would help us to be happy, Father. I pray right now over every dad in the room, Father, that you would give them courage, that you would give them boldness, that you would equip them to be dads, that they would be covered in the armor of God. That Father, that they would walk in your light, that the light of Jesus Christ would fill them and that they would walk in that every day, every step of the way, Father, and that you would equip every granddad, every uncle in the room, Father, every man that has influence over children, uh, over, over anybody, Father God, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to, to walk in the light of Jesus, to walk in your happiness and in your goodness. Father, right now in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, I resist all darkness off of our dads, off of our men, off of our family. Satan, you have no power here. You have no authority. And you've been defeated by the blood of Jesus. And I command you to flee right now. And I command, Father, that these families would be filled with the light of Jesus Christ, with your hope and with your peace. In Jesus' name, Amen.